This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. 2008 came along and the real estate market crashed the stock market. And I didn't expect that. And I, I sat there and I held on tight and I rode it all the way down. And then I threw in the towel at the bottom. <laughs> This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. My name is Andy Hill, and today we're diving into the importance of evolving, keeping up with the ever-changing world. Because when we're complacent and stuck in our ways, opportunities, excitement, and potential wealth can pass us by. Today, I've invited someone on the show who lives by this credo, Rocky Lalvani. Rocky is a life and money coach who has built a multi-million dollar fortune, not from his coaching biz, but from living a focused life based on flexibility, frugality, and family. He shares advice on how to be an abundant life individual uh, on his weekly podcast called Richer Soul. Rocky's also a father to two teens and has been married to his wife, Dolly, for over 23 years. Welcome to the show, Rocky. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here, Andy. Well, you've had you've had a great career, obviously. And, you know, we, in the intro, I mentioned that you've had some financial success and people are probably very interested in how that all went. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you've built your wealth, uh, you know, working a nine to five job like, like like everybody else? So what basically happened is when I got out of college um, and I got my first job, they had all of these different savings plans and I signed up for all of them. I signed up to be in the credit union take, you know, 50 bucks a month in the credit union. I signed up to buy company stock, put $50 in company stock. I signed up to be in the 401k. I started, you know, with a whatever percent, I forget what it was. And then uh, my dad had had um, a T. Rowe price account for me and he handed it over to me um, when I graduated college. It didn't have much money in it, but they had an automated investing system where they would take uh, I think I probably started with like $25 a month and you could invest into a mutual fund. So I picked five mutual funds. And since I was just starting out, I never had money to begin with in the sense of coming out of college and going into to a real job. And so all those automated savings just started kicking in. And every time I started to make more money, I just kicked up the auto savings. Hmm. So it constantly went up. And if I paid off a loan, I would just Many times I would just add my loan payment to my auto savings. Hmm. So just by constantly having all of these things automatically pulling out from my checking account or my paycheck before I ever saw it and before I ever enjoyed that lifestyle, it just worked out. It just continues to grow and grow and grow. And you know the, the, the magic of compound interest. It just it works. And I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, and we can talk about those. But in spite of doing a lot of stupid things, it works. Well, let, let's help people understand what some of those stupid things are so we so we all don't do them too. You've talked about avoiding the buy low, sell high strategy. You know, you hear that a lot, obviously, but chasing that could, could get you in trouble. It sounds like you've had, you've had some of that in, in the past. I had, you know, I think when I was first starting out investing, 
I was constantly chasing returns. So I'd go, oh, this mutual fund's up 70%. Must be good. Invest in this mutual fund. You know what happens the year after they go up 70%? They go down 50%. <laughs> so I'm buying at the top, right? And I'm selling at the bottom because I'm like, well, now that sucks. Now this mutual fund's hot. But I was always chasing the return. I was never in front of it. I was always behind it. So I think that was one of the things that I did. And and there were some other mistakes that kind of happened as well within that. Rolling into the 2000 bubble, I saw that the markets were crazy. This whole internet thing was just wild and crazy back then. Stocks were just constantly going up. And I, I couldn't understand it. They were talking about, oh, valuations don't matter anymore. There's a whole new metric, you know, for what's important. And I looked around, I said, this is crazy. So at that point, I actually sold out a lot of stock holdings and I went to cash. Uh, probably in early 2000 and as late 2000 came, that whole market collapsed because, you know, there may be a new economy coming, but we didn't know who the winners were. And Netscape, Netscape, it wasn't, was it Netscape? Yeah. That didn't stick I'm trying around. to think of. Well, yeah, there were a lot of browsers. There was the little sock oh, puppet yeah. guy, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> there were all of these oh, crazy, yeah. like all kinds of crazy stuff. So all of that kind of crashed. Pets.com is always the one I hear about from Pets, 2000. Pets. That was like the big one that crashed big time. It did. Even Cisco. I own Cisco and Cisco went down considerably uh, in their business. So from 2000 to 2003, I was kind of watching. And in 2003, I hopped back into the market, which was actually pretty much the low point. And from 2003 all the way up through to the next top, I made a ton of money. Life was phenomenal. And during that point, I also watched the real estate market just went crazy. And again, just like in 2000, I'm like, this is nuts. This doesn't make sense. This is crazy. I'm not in real estate. I don't have to worry. I own my house. I'm living here forever. I don't care what happens to the value. And the cool thing was the interest rates were falling during this whole time. So I think when I bought my house at the end of 99, interest rates were around 8%, which people would freak out at today, right? And mm -hmm. over time, they kept going down. And I just kept paying off the house faster and faster as I could refi and, and get lower and lower rates. But 2008 came along and... The real estate market crashed the stock market, and I didn't expect that. And I, I sat there, and I held on tight, and I rode it all the way down. And then I threw in the towel at the bottom. <laughs> and so I didn't, I didn't sell everything, but I sold a good chunk of stuff. And that was, a, you know, looking back, that was a big mistake. Uh, you know, it was kind of like giving up. And that was when I should have been buying, not selling. And that, that cost me a ton of money going forward because I lost all the returns because everything was sitting in cash. And by this point, what's cash earning? 1%? And that's not cool. So in spite of all those mistakes, though, I've still been successful. I was going to say, in spite, of, in spite of those two, two situations you're talking about, obviously, you, you saved a little bit during the, the internet boom there, but you're, you're still a millionaire today. What, how, how does that work? It, you know what? Compounding works. I never make an an ultimate decision, right? So even though I sold out at the bottom, I only sold out half. And because all my things were automated, all my auto savings were still buying back into the market. I wasn't even thinking of that. It was just happening naturally. So 
that just occurred. And at that point, I think I went to bond markets and the bond markets have actually, they did well for a while after that. So I still got good returns in the bond market. Um, and it just, it continues. If you keep playing in the game, it works out. There are wiser, smarter ways to do it than I did, but it still works out. And I mean, those things probably cost me, those decisions probably cost me a million bucks. Yeah. Well, Rocky, you know, there's another one of these coming. It might not be as severe as what we went through, you know, between, um, 08 and, and 2009, but you know, how, how <laughs> knowing what you know now, what's, what's the plan? It's going to happen again. And, wh- and what could you help people? How could you advise people who are listening today to hold steady just based on what happened? So first of all, I think you have to say to yourself, is it time to get out? Do I, do I pull some money off the table and leave it in the side and accept 1%? Um, or do I create a strategy that hedges against a market drop? And so, honestly, at this point, those are big considerations for me. My portfolio is very conservatively invested, so it can probably handle a drop. Uh, Whereas in the sense of if we had a 50% drop, I might only be down 30%. I'm looking to see if I need to, to do some advanced strategies, and I'm trying to learn more about that and see if I can figure out a way without spending a lot of money to be able to protect the downside risk. And I think I'm going to have conversations, but I, I my goal was to go through this year because everyone was pretty much talking about this to be a melt-up year. And it hasn't been. I mean, it's been okay, but it hasn't been a melt-up year. Stock market is at all-time highs. I don't think it's at the point now where it's crazy, but you never know when something comes along and all of a sudden everything falls out from under you. Yeah. So do you sell off more equities and then buy more bonds just to, you know, be like 50, 50? I know you're, Ooh. I know you're just, 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 I know we, we don't want to talk about investment strategies. Now you, no, no, we can, mm-hmm. but here's the problem. Yeah. Bonds are at all time highs. Yeah. Right. This is not a normal situation. Normally <laughs> in this situation, I'd say, yeah, sell stocks, buy bonds, right? That's what everyone does. Mm-hmm. But Bonds are just as much of highs as the stock market is. And so if you do that, that's still a losing strategy. Mm. And what we learned in 2008 is all boats went down. (laughs) The only boats that didn't go down were the ones that were hedged against the, the real estate market. So... And at this point, I don't think the real estate market is that crazy. The stock market is up, but it's not it's not at all time, all time, like valuations. So just be aware. I think that's the most thing. Be aware and have have a process and a system in place to say, when certain things happen, these are the actions I'm going to take. And I still don't have that in place. I'm still working on that. Hey, I'm, I'm sure if you knew it, then I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you'd be even more of a rich man. <laughs> yes. Okay. Excellent. Well, let's talk a little bit about real estate. How long have you been in the real estate business? Actually, I'll ask you that. There's two answers to that question, right? So as a kid, I understood real estate. I was around people who were always buying real estate. And I was the kind of kid who always did stuff. So I knew how to build. I knew how to, you know, um, put in toilets, put in sinks, uh, drop tile, uh, put on a roof. 
I knew how to build things and fix things. And then in college, I actually got my real estate license and I sold houses in college. And then I got into the working world and I didn't do anything with real estate for another 20 plus years. It wasn't until 2011, 2010, where at this point, right, we're in the depths of the market for the stock. I've already, I've cashed out some money and I'm looking at real estate and real estate has now tanked to the point of being reasonable. I'm like, maybe it's time to try real estate. And so I was talking to a friend, they'd come over for dinner and I was like, oh yeah, I'm thinking about real estate and buying rental properties. And they said to me, oh, well, we live in this place and we don't really like it and we're paying high rent. And at this point, you have to realize at this point in the market, everyone was very risk adverse to real estate because it had crashed. And I said, well, you know, maybe, you know, if you're interested, we could we could do a rental situation or something like that. And that was the end of the dinner conversation. Two months later, I get a phone call that says, hey, we've been praying and thinking and we've decided to take you up on your offer. <laughs> OK, so now I have a tenant. Let me go find a house. <laughs> And so I went out and I found a house. I, I knew how to catch deals. I knew what I was doing. And we we got a pretty reasonable deal on a house. Um, I priced the rent wrong. I charged them too little. But it worked out. It got me started. And that's the biggest thing for me in, in life. And I think for most people is getting started is much harder than moving forward once you're going. And so that kind of got me started. So once I got started, we had the one rental house. It was starting to work out. And then at this point, there were so many foreclosures coming up that I was I was watching them. And so we started flipping houses. We found a house after looking at so many of them that it was like, there's no way we can lose money on this deal. And so we'll go try it. Now, we did have one rule, and the rule was I'm not lifting a hammer. I know how to do all these things, but I don't have the time and the effort to do all this work. We're going to find experts and let the experts do the work. And so that's what we did. And we learned a lot in that first house. And as you learn, it just becomes easier and easier. And then we started to build a team. And now when you've got a team of people that you're employing all the time to do paint and do this and that, it also helps with the rentals because now you have people who will fix your rentals. And so over time, as I found some rentals, uh, that were, I think all my rentals were foreclosures or short sales or some sort of a deal. So I, I kind of built the, the portfolio up with the rentals and on the side we were flipping constantly. And it's gone, it's gone quite well over the last few years, except now I'm starting to struggle with the rentals. Hmm. I manage the portfolio myself. And you know, when you free get these rentals and you fix them all up, they're perfect and nice. But when you have tenants living there for five, six, seven years, they start to get run down and you start to need to spend money. You know, a, a new roof is expensive, new air conditioning, new hot water heaters. So all of these things start adding up. And then we had our first eviction, which was not fun. And the tenant trashed the place, which is not fun. But I'm at a point in my life where I have the reserve funds to handle this. Had I not had the reserve funds to handle this, it could it could easily wipe me out. Hmm. And so you do need to be in a place to have the reserve funds. Had I used a a management company, would it have gone better? Maybe. 
you hear horror stories with management companies too. So you have to be careful. Real estate is not a passive business for most people. It's, it is somewhat active. You know, there's the good points where you've got a tenant in place and everything is rolling along nicely. And, you know, for one, two, three years, everything might be perfect. But then when things go wrong or when tenants leave and you have to do a whole bunch of work, it becomes a big spike in your time and effort. And so you've got to balance that all out. So are you feeling like maybe, yeah, I'm just thinking about the different times that we've talked about, you know, this might be a time where you look at your real estate portfolio and say, hey, is is this a time for me to sell some of them? Are you thinking about selling? Yeah. So the one house that's trashed, we're absolutely selling. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're selling it is if I'm going to go through and rebuild this entire house and put everything in brand new, it makes sense now to sell it at a premium and pull the full value out. The other problem is the properties that I bought, the original three that I bought, were high-end market. Back then, you could get high-end clients because people didn't want to buy houses. Well, now, the mortgage rates are so cheap and everybody feels comfortable, it is harder in my market to find good tenants for those houses willing to pay me the rent. So I'm like, if I can't find a good tenant, and I have the ability right now, the market is so tight, I can get premium pricing. So I'm going to sell the one. I have another one where the tenant just moved out um, and it's in great condition. And so it's back and forth. I'm like, if I can't find a good tenant that I'm satisfied with, then I'm going to put this one on. Now, does that mean I'm getting out of the rental market? No. These houses are up market and they're outside of the zone for good real estate. So I can sell these and just with the cash I'm pulling out, go buy a house where the 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 peak of the market is the three two house that is your bread and butter rental and own it free and clear now and cash flow it. So that is kind of the thing. And it's just a matter of can I find a good price three two rental? And I'll just wait. When I get the deal and it's right, I'll buy it. I don't feel like I have to do this this moment. We'll be back to the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile 
a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Hey, everybody. Thanks for considering our sponsors today. Let's jump back into the show. I like this conversation of, of making decisions based on not staying in the same place, but figuring out where we need to be. So that's good. And, you know, on that, on that, uh, on that point, you've talked a lot about college for your kids. Um, the traditional path obviously is insane. Now I'm saving up for my daughter to go to college in uh, now 12 years, maybe a quarter million dollars for her to go to an in-state school. It's blowing me away. You and I've had some fun conversations about this, both, you know, uh, in person as well as, um, you know, online. I understand you have a very different way of looking at college for your kids. Can you talk to us about how you're going to do that? Sure. So let me give you a little backstory. Um, my kids went to a private classical school from the time they were in kindergarten all the way through. My daughter went all the way through 10th grade. In 10th grade, she said, this is no longer serving me. She said, even though this is the best school in the area, it's holding me back from doing what I really want to do because I'm spending all this time learning stuff that's not as important to me. And it's sucking the life energy out of me. I mean, literally, she was just not doing well. And so she fought with us and we listened and she said, and we started looking at other programs. So that we looked at cyber, we looked at other schools, we looked at online, we looked at all these different things. And none of them fit her desires and her intentions and her personality. And so what we ended up doing was homeschooling. And so people think homeschooling means that I'm the teacher. Absolutely not. Um, she went, figured out all the rules wrote the letter for the homeschooling, found an advisor, understood what the things were, figured out what she needed to graduate. And then she started going out and doing some really unique things. So uh, as part of that, she got to play in the adult world. So she got involved in activities and, and programs that adults were involved in. Mm -hmm. She used to go, to, well, she's been to FinCon. You've been to FinCon. She's been to FinCon, I think, two or three times. Uh, she's been to see Tony Robbins. 
Uh, she's been to Brendan Bruchard's High Performance Academy because she wasn't in school. She had the freedom to travel and go places and connect with adults. She also spent a lot of time with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Ramit Shetty. I will teach you yeah. to be rich. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he had a, um, it was called uh, RBT, which is his brain trust group. And they would have meetups locally uh, throughout the country. So she would go and meet young adults and just start asking them questions of what did you think about college? What did you know about college? What did you wish you did differently? And we thought all of these experiences would make for a great scholarship story and a full ride scholarship. No. (laughs) Colleges only care about two things, your SAT scores and your grades. So she did work on that. She had high SAT scores and high grades, so she got the max scholarship she could for that. She did not get the presidential scholarships, which is uh, the one where you get the full ride. And I think part of that was they don't want to hear a story like she had. They want to hear a story of how you're changing the world or something. And the problem is she doesn't even know what she wants to do yet. That's not fair. And these kids are pretending to change the world in certain ways that maybe they are or they aren't. Hmm. So we learned the college game. And as we started to see all of this, it just became like college is expensive. As I'm sitting in classrooms, I'm not seeing the value. As I'm hearing the questions from the the adults in the financial conversations, you know, during the open questions, I'm sitting around looking like, there's something really amiss going on here. This is not right. Now, in light of all of that, we've always told our kids from when they were young, if you're smart enough to go to college, you're smart enough to pay for college. All right. Both my wife and I pretty much paid for our colleges ourselves. Mind you, it was a very different time. You could get a part-time job and pay for college and support yourself. Um, It was not hard. Today, it's hard. So, she is uh, she's go- she is going to a college. She has uh, scholarships that are covering about half of her her first year. Well, it'll cover half of almost half of her schooling. Uh, she found a college that is a good fit and the right fit for her. She actually some of the conversations for some of the colleges were, I'm not paying that much for that college. It's not worth it. I don't see the value in that particular place. Because she knew she had to pay for it, she took the time to dig in and learn and and make sure that it was the right fit for her. So she's going to go off. Um, She's probably going to have to borrow money. She knows she's going to have to work, but she's taking responsibility for, for this. She's got skin in the game. It's not dad's writing me a check so I can go have fun for four years. Uh, and she does already have – she has credits already stocked up towards college, so she'll probably knock a semester off. So that's helpful as well. Learning how much of a game it is and how much it's not about learning but about getting a piece of paper. My son just finished 10th grade. I said to him, you're not going back to high school. You're going to community college. It's a hundred and a quarter a credit. So for $4,000, you can get a year of college under your belt. You're going to go do that for the next year for your junior year. And there's actually programs where he could do it for two years. But because he's going to be in a STEM major, he's probably going to go either into computer electrical engineering or programming. 
The problem is he can't get all the classes at the community college. And at this point, he still doesn't drive. So that kind of creates an issue. So after we get through this year, we're going to evaluate next year, uh, seeing if we can be a little bit more flexible, find some courses for him or have the conversation of going off to college early. Now, we went out. So we went out to Pittsburgh and we went to Carnegie Mellon. Beautiful school. Mm -hmm. Top robotics program. That's what my kid loves. Seventy something thousand dollars a year. That's one one forty two two hundred and eighty thousand, right? Two hundred and eighty thousand dollars. I said to them, "How much are you going to help me with?" They go, hmm, "You nothing. Have a nice day." <laughs> right? Because <laughs> yeah, even though my kid's smart, even though he knows how to build robots, my FAFSA form shows that I have enough money to pay for college, and I'm like, "But his doesn't. That's my form, right? That's, That's right. my That's retirement, right. <laughs> not his." So. What we did was we also went over next door and next to uh, Carnegie Mellon is, is the University of Pittsburgh. And the University of Pittsburgh, two things popped up. One, if you go to University of Pittsburgh and they don't have your class, you can take a class at Carnegie Mellon under University of Pittsburgh pricing, which is 28000 University of Pittsburgh also has this program where you can take all your community college credits and transfer them in. So the two years he's doing at home will transfer in so he can get his University of Pittsburgh experience maybe down to about two and a half years. So that's dropping the cost considerably. Now we're looking at maybe 75, 80 grand for college, right? And... If he goes across the street and starts building relationships at CMU, he can go to grad school at CMU and you do not have to pay for grad school because he's starting early. He can get through at the same point for instead of the two hundred and eighty thousand plus the grad. Well, then he still get the grad degree for free, but he's saving two hundred thousand on the undergrad degree. And maybe he sneaks into the CMU program. So who knows? That's one of the things we're doing. And then I think you've heard of Treehouse. So I signed him up for Treehouse and I keep telling the kid, like, dude, just learn to program. You don't need to go to college. You can just start creating stuff and go to work. Like, why don't you start trying at least? So he he is starting to do Treehouse and he learns on his own anyway. And so it's not a problem. He's He's kind of doing that. So we're... We're, we're playing this game with intention because, quite frankly, $200,000 for college is a joke. Yeah. $100,000 for college, I wouldn't mind it so much for my son because he's going into a STEM field. He's guaranteed a good income coming out. My daughter is not going into a STEM field. So I'm looking at this going, I don't know if it's worth it. And, you know, the conversations we've had is at the end of the year, she's going to sit down and say, is this worth what we're paying? Because if it's not, I'm going to find a new direction. Yeah. And that's cool because if your kids, you know, I'm trying to raise great adults, not great kids. And that's what they're, they're learning life. They're learning money. They're making decisions. They're not afraid to jump and leap and try new things. And the, again, you know, so when we went to, when we grew up, it was, you know, go to school, go to college, get a great job. Life is wonderful. That's not working so much anymore for the current generation, is it? No. No. That is not. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you are spending, however it works out. Obviously, you don't have the final plan yet. But the process that you're doing, you're spending so much time with your kids 
speaking about the numbers, letting them understand the realities of what they're going to get into. And then obviously going to these conferences and learning and being able to, you know, make adult decisions before they get there. Because so many people, myself included, just picked a major because it was easy and there were less math classes and I got through it and I partied and I had a lot of fun. I got my degree and I got a good job and that, that works well. And lucky enough, my parents were able to help me go through it. But there are a lot of people out there that are still paying their student loans that are going to be paying them. I mean, I've heard news of people having, having, having still having their student loans and then now their social security is, is being garnished because they still have student loans. It is a problem that's going to continue. So kudos for you for investigating the solution and finding the right one for your family. So we're, we're almost, uh, uh, wrapping up right now, but I just want to ask you a couple more questions. Um, this alternative view of retirement, I've heard you talk about it as well. You know, you do not want to be the guy who really retires at all, it sounds like. Why is that? Why, why, why do you not want to do the traditional retirement? How often do you hear of people retiring from, you know, big incomes and they're dead in six months? Uh, I mean, you need to have purpose in your life. You need to do what you enjoy. For me... We're in the midst of this shift right now. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I spent a lot of time thinking about what would I like to do if I could just go out and do stuff. And what I came back with was financial coaching. I've always loved money. So I've, I've loved two things, technology and money. The problem with the money game was if I came out of college and went to work, I would have to sell crap products that I just do not believe in to my friends and family. I'm like, I will never do this. And so I finally came to this aha that financial coaching works with people's mindsets. It teaches them how to set up these automated savings and then having the bigger conversations about being intentional. And then the other thing, which is a big problem is everyone lives in silos. Nobody realizes that a decision in one part of your life, your health, your work, your relationships, how you treat your kids, your spirituality, how you treat your wife, all of those things ripple across other parts of your life. And if you don't take care of your wife, Andy, she's going to take half your money and kick you out and your kids, right? Absolutely. But yet, but people don't think about that when they take this 60 hour job or when they ignore their wife or they, so my big thing is helping people figure out and living a, a balanced, holistic life across all of those different areas and making it work. And that lights me up. How could I retire if I'm having fun every day, right? What is it, uh, Warren Buffett tap dancing to work? Create the tap dance to work, right? That's what I want to do. And look at him. He's in his, how, he's in his late 80s, right? I think so. Or, or Yeah, yeah, I think so. He, yeah. And he's going full force. I want to be like that when I'm in my 80s. I don't want to be an old doddering man who, you know, has a cane and, and can't do anything. I want to be the guy who can still move, who can still run after his grandkids, who can enjoy life. Well, that's great. Well, I love this. I love this topic of contrarian advice and how we can, you know, take a deep look at what people say you're supposed to do and then maybe just try to <laughs> dig a little deeper in and what works best for you. So Rocky, I really appreciate you being with me today. Where's the best place that people can find you and, and connect with you? Uh, best place is richersoul.com. My email is rocky at richersoul.com. And I'm also on Twitter at Rocky Lalvani. Email me if you've got questions or 
comments, I'd be more than happy to answer them for you. And so they can also listen in on the podcast and hear much more of these kinds of conversations. Absolutely. And I've, I've had a chance to uh, speak with Rocky on his show. He's got a great roster of guests and uh, we are uh, both working together in this FinCon community and having a lot of fun. So thanks so much, uh, Rocky, for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. speak with such successful people. Rocky has been through a lot over the years, ups and downs in the stock market, a housing crash, rapidly rising college costs for his teenage kids, but he's been flexible and open to change. He wasn't always a winner at every turn, as he admitted on this podcast, but he picked himself up and got after it again. And now multi-millionaire. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Rocky Lovani. Number one, time in the market beats timing the market. Rocky warned us that chasing returns is an excellent way to get burned. Don't do it. The buying low and selling high game is too difficult to win, extremely time-consuming, and stressful. Instead, we should buy and hold passive index funds for the long term. And over time, you'll get a great return if you can ride through the tough times. One thing is for sure, this bull market that we're in right now, it's going to go down. It's going to go down. When? I have no clue. I have no freaking clue. (laughs) If you do, let me know. But it will happen. And when it does, are you prepared to hold firm and dollar cost average your way through? I sure hope I am. I don't know. I, I do talk a big game, but I've never, I've never had a bulk of my lifetime savings plummet in front of my eyes. So I guess we'll see. I like to think that I'll hold firm. Maybe if I keep doing this show. (laughs) Number two, take advantage of automated savings. Rocky mentioned that he was able to build a lot of his wealth by jumping on board with automated savings programs at work and outside of work. This can come in a lot of forms for people. So let's, let's review a few for folks today. 401k. Yeah, the 401k. Sign up for that guy. Take advantage of a match at work and look for index funds that have very low expense ratios. The IRA. You can also take advantage of automated savings with this vehicle. The IRA will help you build your retirement savings early. And HSA, the health savings account. If your company has a high deductible health plan, you may be eligible for an HSA. And then savings account. Obviously, this is just another way to save. You can automatically transfer a certain amount of money into your savings account for emergencies. This can happen directly from your employer, or you can just do an automated system through your bank or your online bank. And... You know, just having liquid cash on hand is never a bad thing. So those are some automated ways to save money on a daily basis. Number three, your kids should be part of the college solution too. Now, I don't have teenagers yet like Rocky. I just have little guys, six and uh, four years old. 
But when Rocky talked about his kids having skin in the game, it made a ton of sense to me. They need to be engaged and a part of the process. This is too big of an investment now to just simply sign up for the local university and pay through the teeth for years and years. Rocky looked at scholarships, the student loan process, having them maybe go to community college for a couple years and then transferring over because it doesn't really matter where you went to community college as long as your undergrad says university of blah, blah, blah. That's all that really matters, right? Or just simply choosing a college alternative like Treehouse. This is a program that helps people learn how to code and get jobs after their training. So a lot of tech going on, people. Maybe that coding skill for your kids would not be a bad idea. He's still in the process of figuring it all out with his kids, but, you know, he's exposing them to a world outside of high school and the traditional path. And for that, I applaud him. I applaud you, Rocky. So those were my top three takeaways. Number one, time in the market beats timing the market. Number two, take advantage of automated savings. And number three, your kids should be a part of the college solution too. I like this idea of flexibility and experimenting when it comes to building and maintaining our wealth. In this rapidly, rapidly, rapidly changing world, we simply cannot afford to do the same old, same old, my friends. We will get blown over. I mean, think about just companies that were, are, are, are just fading away. Blockbuster, gone. Pew, like traditional taxi services, they're going to be gone. <laughs> Sears gone. You know, I mean, like this is, we have to keep up as well. So for me, I'm experimenting by trying to create new branches to my income tree. Yes. Let me explain my income tree right now. It's a long trunk with no branches. And that long trunk represents my full-time job. The only place where I'm getting income. I'm working on creating new branches right now. Little tiny ones, real estate branch, small business branch, brokerage account branch, my wife getting a little passion project job branch. These are all tiny branches, but soon they'll grow through compound interest and hard work into a beautiful and strong tree. So that's my income tree. <laughs> I hope Rocky and I helped you think about how you can grow your money tree as well today, my friends. Now it's time to announce the money master of the week. My daughter, Zoe Hill. She had a huge money win the other day and I want to celebrate her. Welcome to the show, Zoe. I'm so glad I'm on here. Oh, Zoe, I'm happy to have you back. So the other day, you came home from school, and you had an $18 library fine. Yes, you, I did. Can you tell us how you got that library fine? Um, I looked for the book with my librarian, The Interrupting Chicken, and um, my mom said that, that sometimes books get mixed up, and it was $18, so, so my mom said sometimes books get mixed up, and the interrupting chicken did, and and. So, so you felt like you returned the book, though, is what you're saying. Yes, and I did, and I helped my librarian search for the book, 
and we found it, and now we don't have to pay um, $18. That is awesome, because $18, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of chores you have to do with Mommy and Daddy, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you didn't want to pay $18 out of your, your spend jar for that, right? No, 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 (laughs) no. So what did you and mommy say to the librarian when you talked to her about the book? My mommy said that sometimes books get mixed up. And she said that Zoe and the librarian said that Zoe and I can look for it next, um, next library day. And we did. And we found it. It was just mixed up. That's great. So you didn't have to pay that $18. Never. That's awesome. So what did you what did you learn from the situation, Zoe? Sometimes books get mixed up, and I think that's true because a lot of books get mixed up normally. Yeah. So you you're you were okay with having a, uh, a a good conversation with the librarian and trying to figure out what happened. I'm I'm very proud of you for that. Yeah. Thank you, baby. Congratulations for standing up for yourself, doing it politely and um, figuring out a way that um, you could resolve the situation. Because sometimes we get bills for things or receipts for things that are charges that we actually didn't pay for or do. But mommy just came home from the grocery store and they accidentally charged her for 22 cartons of strawberries when she only got two. So they charged her like an extra, whatever, it was like 50 bucks. But... Mommy checked the receipt and went back to the store and said, I'm sorry, I didn't get 22 strawberries, and I got two. So sometimes people make mistakes, and that's okay, right? Yes. All right. Well, I'd love you, and I just wanted to celebrate you, and thank you for being on the show. Yeah, Becca! Zoe Hill, thank you so much for being our Money Master of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show? It could be your kid that had a great uh, win like my daughter did. Oh, I'm so proud of her. Or it could be a financial victory that you've had in your life. Did you recently pay off some debt? Did you hit a net worth milestone? Or is it a family tradition that you started that's helping your kids build wealth? I want to hear about it. Please contact me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or better yet, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. That way I can hear a voice as well as the listeners of this podcast. Anyway, contact me. I would love to hear from you. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 104, session 104. Hey, just as a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. We did talk about some investment stuff today, but uh, I want you to know that uh, I'm not a professional. Be sure to seek out professional advice for your specific financial situation. Before we head out for the day, I want to encourage you all to join our Thriving Families Facebook community. We are having so much fun, so many engaging conversations And we're helping to build some young family wealth in there, my friends. Rocky is even a member of the community. So come and check it out. This is a free community on Facebook. It's spam-free, promotion-free. It's just a safe place for you all to ask money questions and have some cool conversations. Because I know out there in the real world, IRL, or wait, in real life, IRL, people don't like talking about money right? Your parents don't, your spouse maybe doesn't, your friends don't. But in the Thriving Families Facebook community, we all love talking about money. You can ask us questions. You can bounce things off of us. 
and it's just a great place to grow your wealth. So come hang out with us and go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash FB group to find it. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash FB group. It is called Thriving Families on Facebook, but I figured I'd just make this quick link for you guys to check it out. So marriagekidsandmoney.com slash FB group. I'm looking forward to chatting with you all there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Tony Robbins. Stay committed to your decisions, but stay flexible in your approach. We'll all get there together, everybody. Carpe diem. 